Today's joke comes from my dad, because this is definitely a dad joke. But do you know why the gates of heaven are always open? That's because Jesus was literally born in a barn. There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons and then... There are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. So big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. Yeah, sorry. I'm not sorry for the joke. It's a bad joke. I like bad jokes. Today is the 10th Sunday after Pentecost, though, and we are going to talk about possibilities. Why? Because I think there's a possibility today in the Gospel, which is chapter 14, verses 13 to 21 in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus feeds the 5,000. We have all heard this story, especially if you're listening to me. I mean, if you haven't, go read it. It's fun. It's easy. I prefer the NSRV. Uh, translation of the Bible. I just feel that is the most contemporary and most uh, scholarly version of the Bible. Anyway, let's let's talk about this and let's start by talking about um, positive thinking, possibility thinking, as it's called by uh, Dr. Robert Schuller, who tell, talks about this guy he once met on a flight to Los Angeles. The dude was a mathematician named George Danzig which I probably remember because Danzig is one of my favorite bands, but I digress. Schiller made this observation to Danzig that it was the first time it occurred to him that there was one field of endeavor to which positive thinking does not apply. See, mathematical problems don't give a shit about your feelings. There's only one right answer. So they are not affected in any way by how a person actually thinks. And Danzig told the dude that he was wrong. And he explained that during the Depression, he had been a student of mathematics at the University of California, Berkeley, and people were hungry, desperate for any job they could get, even as they were going to school. Danzig, along with his other classmates, desperately wanted the job of assistant teacher in the math department. And rumor had it that the person who scored the highest grade in a certain math course would probably get the job. So Danzig worked unbelievably hard in that class. He was determined to be the high scorer. But on the day of the exam, Danzig overslept. He came in late. He was handed a piece of paper with eight math problems on it, and he thought he could handle those eight problems just fine. But then he noticed two more that were on the board. He finished his eight problems in the time allotted still, but asked the professor for extra time to finish the last two. And he gave him the extension on the exam. Well, Danzig was convinced that he was as smart as anybody else in the class, and somebody in that class would figure out those two problems. So why should it not be him? After all, that assistant teacher's job was writing on these two problems, he thought. And he labored over those problems all week. Finally, he solved them on Friday, just before the extension's deadline. 
and a few days later, Danzig was awakened by a pounding on his door. He opened it and found that professor completely excited. And he asked George if, he'd, if he had come late to class on exam day. And he said, yeah, yeah you, you saw me coming late. What? Well, the professor explained that the exam had only been those eight problems on the exam paper, which he had solved perfectly. The two problems on the board had been up there for fun. See, there were classic mathematic problems that no mathematician had up to that date been able to solve. Even Einstein had not been able to crack them. The professor explained at the beginning of the class that those two problems had so far been unsolvable. So, the students were willing to play around with them, see what they could come up with. But because George Danzig was late to that class that day, he didn't hear that the problems were unsolvable. In fact, he thought it was imperative that he actually solved them. Now, if he had been told that Einstein couldn't solve them, he wouldn't have even freaking tried. But because no one had told him that it could not be done, he had actually done it. So, maybe we should be careful when you say something cannot be done. I mean, I'm sure those disciples thought that Jesus was over his head that day when he set out to feed 5,000 men, women, and children. Because after all, one child brought up five loaves of bread and two fish. And the disciples probably said to themselves, this, this, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> and we can take a look at like the riots that just happened in New York uh, with that uh, uh, streamer and the nonsense that he pulled off, you know, where he was like, oh, I'm going to go to this park and we're going to have fun and, you know, I'm going to give away some PS5, some gift cards and yeah, riot. Or, you know, other times when similar things have happened. Well, you can't do it, right? Uh, Charles F. Ketterling once said, when he was research head of General Motors, when he wanted to solve a problem, he would call the staff together and he would first place a table outside of the room and there would be a sign that read, leave your slide rules out here. If he didn't do that, someone was always reaching for a slide rule in the middle of the meeting. In a few minutes, this person would be on his feet saying, boss, you can't do it. It can't be done. So, it's kind of true no matter what we try to accomplish, isn't it? There's always someone saying, well, you just can't do it that way. You can't lose that weight. You can't get that job. You can't make that marriage work. You can't really change. Hell, you can't sit there and make a podcast where you're preaching and have anyone actually listen. Well, you know what? I'm one of the most shared podcasts on Spotify. I'm in the top 33%. And I barely have anyone listening to me. I mean, I see how much it is. If a lot of people are actually listening to me, well, you know what? I'd probably be making something out of this. Not that I'm trying to make something out of it. I'm trying to just share the word of God's love. Well, you can't do that because, you know, Christianity is supposed to be all hateful and judgmental and, hey, how are people going to know if they're going to be okay to go to heaven? Uh, because of God's love? 
No, 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 no. You have to tell everyone who to hate. They shouldn't be hating anyone. That's why I'm making my podcast. So, you know, we listen to people who say it can't be done. We give up before we even succeed. And I think I'm succeeding here. Even as small of a group are listening to me. Keep sharing it, by the way. I want more people to listen. Anyway, there's this autobiography titled In Praise of the Imperfection, My Life and Work. It's written by this woman named Rita Levi Montesini, who was an Italian scientist. Looking back over her life as a scientist, she was convinced that, that in research, neither intelligence nor efficiency are what really count. What really counts, she says, is the tenacity and tendency to underestimate difficulties. When you underestimate the difficulty, you're more apt to tackle problems other more reasonable people say can't be solved. And that's really true. How does an athlete advance? Think winning thoughts. When that athlete follows the steps he or she must take to accomplish that goal. Like Franklin Jacobs. He was our country's premier high jumpers decades ago. He was only five foot eight. People have always been asking me one question. He says, how can a five foot eight jump 23 inches over his head? And honestly, he said, I never thought myself as being small. Height to me is just a relative thing. When I approached that bar, honey, I'm six foot six. So he was a winner because he didn't listen to people who said he could not. And Dr. William H. Willimon tells of being in East Germany a long time ago, back when there was an East Germany, West Germany. And his professor-type friends declared to him that the Berlin Wall would never come down, especially not in their lifetime. But you know what? Two weeks later, in a single wide in Wyoming, a little boy born in Würzburg, Germany, was watching that wall come down. 4.30 in the morning because history was being made. There is those who focus on what can't be done or what cannot happen. There's always people who are predicting disaster. Lou Holtz, who once coached at Notre Dame and before that, the University of Arkansas, in 1978 went to the Orange Bowl. He was warned that fans might throw oranges at his team. All he could do was smirk and say, you know, that could be worse. We could be at the Gator Bowl. Kind of like that attitude. Kind of reminds me of Thomas. Anyway, the disciples of Jesus were focusing on their problems, not their possibilities. Jesus told them to give the crowd something to eat. And they said, "Uh, we got five loaves and two fish. So did Jesus ask them what they had to work with? Nah, he didn't give a shit. Did he ask any of them they had experience in catering? No, it wouldn't have mattered. Jesus knew that no task undertaken at God's command was impossible. It doesn't matter how big or small that task is. God tells us to go out and feed the hungry world. Not only with physical bread, but with the bread of life, which is his word. That word of love. Now, was that impossible? Hell no. But if Christ tells us to make disciples of all people, is that impossible? 
Nah. I mean, the Holy Spirit invades our fellowship. It tells us there are things that we can do to make this better. That the church, a better church. A community, a better community. Is that impossible? Fuck no. No task undertaken at God's command is impossible. Our God is a God of miracles. Our God can take a lump of clay, transform it into a diamond. Our God can take that lump of clay, fashion it to a living human being. Nothing is impossible for God. So Jesus took that five loaves and two fish. He looked up heaven, blessed it, breaking the loaves. He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitudes. And everyone ate, according to Matthew's gospel. All were satisfied. And they all had plenty to eat. That's impossible, you might say. Well, you know what? This is where I throw in that context shit, right? One, it is a miracle. Two, but it's not the miracle that we seem to think it is. See, when I read this passage, I always, and whenever I read the Bible, I always take a look for humanity. Because it's not just our faith in God, but God's faith in us. It's not our love and faith of God and of Jesus that is shown right here. It is the love and faith that Jesus has for us. We don't know how it occurred. It doesn't matter. What difference does it make how God works? If God wants to miraculously multiply loaves of bread, that's awesome. But if he wants to open up the people's hearts and cause them to share with one another, that's a miracle too. The point is that they were fed. Everyone had plenty to eat. And baskets full of food were left over. Many, many times over what they started with. But the point of this story, that's for our lives today, is trust God. Trust God. God is a God of miracles. God can take every little and make it into every much. If God commands it, then God can accomplish it. In 1920s, Bert Webb was a pioneering a church in Granada, Minnesota. One night, word came to him that the elderly Civil War veteran, Colonel Trumbull, wanted to see him. So he traveled some 30 miles into the country, and he came to a bedside of this old soldier. I'm not going to make it, preacher, the colonel said, and I want to tell someone about a miracle I witnessed during the Civil War. In feeble tones, this old man told of being one of many Union soldiers incarcerated in the infamous Andersonville, Georgia, prisoner of war camp, where men died by the hundreds. Food was scarce, Colonel Trumbull recalled, but perhaps even worse was the scarcity of water. In desperation, one day he and several other prisoners went to western of the encampment prayed on their knees. We we pray God would help us, he said. To our surprise, a few minutes a huge black cloud came, stood above the stockade. Suddenly a flash of lightning burst from the crowd and struck a huge rocks split apart. The stream began to gush and continued to flow. 
Webb thanked the dying man and prayed with him and returned home. It was a fascinating story, but he wondered perhaps as a figment of imagination of the dying soldier. So, for five years, he kept that story to himself. But then, in 1935, Webb was speaking at North Highlands Assembly of God in Columbus, Georgia. He was preaching on, quote, the water of life, end quote. Suddenly he felt impressed by the story. At their service, people swarmed to him. You know, we know about that spring, they said. The site of Andersonville is just a few miles from here. The story's true. So the next day, Webb went with his friends to the site, and there in the center of this former camp was a spring with a stone spring covering the rock from which the water was coming from. And above the door was a sign that read Providence Spring, commemorating the miracle that had produced it. And God is a God of miracles. Now, it was all kind of just the way it happens. And, you know, a lot of people who have no faith, who, well, I'm not going to say an atheist has no faith. Their faith is just directed towards, like, other things. But they're scientific reasons for that spring to have been there. There's scientific reasons for how it opened up. And what I think a lot of people get confused with is the fact that science is just the voice of God. Science is not the absence of God, but rather how God works his wonders. Because God is a God of miracles. God can provide for our needs. He can help us accomplish our dreams. He can take our little and turn it into much. This means as followers of Jesus, we need to dream big dreams. Because God is a God who rewards great dreams. So what's your dream? Do you have one? Maybe it's building your own business. Maybe it's educating your kids, going back to school, finding your partner. If your dream comes from God, it can be accomplished. So what's your dream for this church, for this podcast, this ministry to young people, to people who have a hunger for a faith that stems from grace, thankfulness, and love? Because if it comes from God, maybe it can be accomplished. See, Jesus blessed the bread and the fishes and everybody was fed and baskets full were left over. God wants to perform a miracle in your life, my life, and in this world. God wants to take our little and turn it into much. He wants to take our dreams and use them to his glory. I guess the big question we need to ask is, will we give God a chance? I don't know. But let me know your thoughts down below. Answer the question. Anyway, fuckers, I love you. Remember, the table can only get bigger. All are welcome. Peace!